Like I said, my name is Adam. I'm one of the pastors here at Sunrise, and it is a privilege for me to, to stand here with you guys today and bring you God's word. Um, some of you guys, a lot of you might know my backstory, um, but before coming to Cayman, I actually had an incredible opportunity for full-time mission work in Lima, Peru. Um, that's where my wife and I served for almost eight years, and it was an incredible experience in our life. And I, I am so thankful that, that me at 21 years of age said, God, I, I'll do it. I don't know, just like Jen, I don't know how I'm going to be of use. I don't know the language. I, I don't think I'm really good at anything, God. <laughs> but you can use me. Just take my life and do whatever you want. And, and looking back, I see God's hand over my life, and, and I've realized that he, he took me there only by his grace and only because I was obedient to what he had. Like many of you here, you, you guys have, have moved. <laughs> we, um, particularly in Sunrise, we have a lot of people that have moved to different countries and have experienced the joys and the pains of moving. <laughs> it, I don't know if you're like me, but when I was right out of college, I was so happy to just throw on a backpack and have my whole life in that backpack and just go wherever it was. And, and there was something that I looked forward to. But as I got older and as I got married and as we started having, well, we had Kayla and then we had Josiah and kids have a lot of things and each move was more and more stressful. It was more and more almost sad for us to make. You know, I, after living in 11 houses in just the past eight years, moving is something that I dread. And a feeling of I just want to be home appeared in my life. My adventurous heart that used to just love to put on a backpack and go, it's now yearning for stability. And, and even the weirdest thoughts come into my mind, like, I love plants a lot. And my, my wife knows that. Anybody who really knows me knows that I love plants. And one of my, my dreams in life is to, to take a plant, a tree, to plant it and watch it grow into a tree. And that's very odd, I know. But I also would love to paint a room in our house and not have to think in the back of my mind, and how difficult is this going to be to change whenever we have to move again? Or to have a measuring chart in the kitchen on the doorway where I know that I can track the growth of my two children to see how tall they're getting. And, you know, they, those things used to seem really silly to me. And now they've become desirable in my life. And it made me, it's, it's caused me to wonder, why am I feeling this desire for stability and, and this desire to be home and this desire to just know what's going to happen in my future? <laughs> And I bring this up not to just talk about the pains of moving and, and whining like that, but I bring it up because my housing condition, it, it, it is speaking to my soul's condition. <laughs> we all want security, and we, lack of clarity in our future brings fear and uncertainty, and we assume that the best way to remedy that is by knowing everything that's going to happen and to make sure that we have a plan for X, Y, and Z and then expect the unexpected and plan for the unexpected, which honestly starts to sound ridiculous. <laughs> but if you've wrestled with the fear of the unknown like I have, then I think it's just wise to admit that we're not alone in that. 
You know, Jesus' own disciples, on numerous occasions, they wrestled with this thought of not having a secure future or what their future should be like. On numerous occasions, they failed to see, see clearly what Jesus was doing. And I think that there are a few things they struggled with that we also share today. So those that are here today and that are unsure as to why God is allowing certain things to happen in their life, those that are here that are asking for clarity as to where they should go, and those that are asking if their life can really honestly make a difference, that's what we're going to look at today. Today we're going to look at a passage that I think should help some of us that are in that situation, and we're going to turn to John 13. So if you have a Bible, please turn with me to John 13. If you don't have one, we have some in the backs of these black chair pockets. I, think, I believe there's some in the end aisles as well. But John 13 is a really important chapter. All the chapters of the Bible are important, obviously. But Jesus is coming up right before the crucifixion. And if you were here last week, you heard Pastor Brett preach on how Jesus was showing how to serve in love and how he washed the disciples' feet. And then he told Judas, go ahead and, and betray me. He knew he was about to be deserted and murdered. And this is what follows. So if you have a Bible, John 13, if you are aware, you can see the screen behind me. It'll also be behind me. It says this in 1336, and we're going to read to 1414. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you myself. That I will take you myself that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had seen me, you would, all, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, Show us the Father, and it's enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these he will do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you are asking me anything, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Let's pray. God, we, we thank you for your word and just the, the truth 
and the light that it brings to our life. Lord, I pray that in this passage that we would, we would see you. Lord, I pray that you would soften all of our hearts so that we would, we would allow you to come in and, and rearrange some things in our life. God, I pray that this would be a message that would clarify several things in our life and, and put you as the most important thing in our life, God. Help us to understand the identity of Jesus and, and just who you are. In your name we pray, amen. Now, in this passage, i got to admit, there we find a lot of different statements. <laughs> and it's easy to get our heads sort of turned around and understanding what is actually happening here. But what we will try to accomplish today is just to examine how the identity of Christ was revealed to the disciples and how that should change our lives as well. And honestly, this, this passage is such an encouragement for me, and I hope it is for you too. First, we see that the, the Gospels really are an unaltered document. <laughs> and I believe that because when we see what happens with a lot of the first church leaders, okay, with Peter and Thomas and Philip, they all really messed up, okay? And if they wanted themselves to look a little better, they could have easily changed one of the documents. Say, you know what, I didn't actually say that, and Jesus actually said, yeah, you're right. No, this paints them in a really bad picture. They did not get what was going on at all. And so to me, that, one, it shows me that this is, what really happened, okay? And what I also loved about it is that Peter, Thomas, and Philip, they all strike out with their understanding of Jesus. Jesus had to correct them, and he corrected them because he loved them and because he had such a great purpose for their lives. If you are falling short, welcome to the club, but rely on Jesus and welcome the correction that he he brings because That's what he does to those that he loves and for those that he has big plans for. (laughs) This short passage shows three times where the disciples failed, but they did not let those failures dictate how God used them. Instead, let God work through you and don't be afraid of the correction that he brings. You know, verse 6 is usually the main verse that that this passage is known for because it's one of the the many I am statements of Jesus. And and in it, the the disciples were struggling with just understanding completely, grasping the identity of who Jesus is. And Jesus had to show them. He had to show them. And he was nearing the completion of this time where he was leading the disciples and he had to make sure that they understood who Jesus was. That was the most important thing. He says very plainly in verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So let's break that down. Let's look a little bit about each part, okay? So Jesus is the way. That's, that's our first little bulletin. And on your bulletins, that's the first point. Jesus is the way. I want to go back to verse 37 of chapter 13. We read that at the beginning, and it says this. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. What we need to understand is that our works are not the way. Peter claimed that he could effectively follow Jesus, and he was confronted and embarrassed 
with a rooster of shame that crowed the next morning. I mean, just look at verse 37. It's full of Peter making I can statements, or he's saying, why can't I do it? I will lay down my life. Peter was saying, I'm Jesus, I, I'm, I'm going to lay down my life for you, but Jesus needed Peter to see that it was, in fact, Jesus laying down his life for Peter. That was the way, and that was the only way. Peter's perspective was very much a self-sufficient, I got this already, Jesus attitude. And, and this is something that we all must be very careful not to slip into ourselves and our own life because Peter was focused on his strength and on his courage and on his own way. And it's true, whenever we spend time with God, it, does, it changes us. It makes us bolder people, but it never changes the fact that we need him. And this isn't just a training ground where the apprentice operates one day without the master. Our dependency on God is a gift that keeps us close to him. And we need to understand that Jesus' way is the only way, not our own way. The Pharisees of that day, they, they tried to prescribe their lives to a lengthy list of rules and regulations, claiming that they were righteous, and that was the way to godliness. So, Paul explains later in Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9, that it is for by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. The only way is by the works of Jesus. He is the way. We can never make the way. We can never be holy enough. We can never be good enough to make our own way. There was no way for humans to be with the Father, the pit of sin separated us, us from the Father. And the only way that we could be connected back with the Father was the way that Jesus provided. That bridge, it bridged the gap. And it was only able to happen through the death of Jesus. Jesus is our only way. Our way is never strong enough. It's never bold enough. We have to understand that we are dependent on Jesus. So, number two, Jesus is the truth. Knowing Jesus is knowing truth. And so often we cry out, Jesus, God, just open my eyes so I can see clearly. But we have our eyes closed ourselves, and we don't want to open them. We want truth when it fits our agenda, our desire, our expectations. Just look at when Thomas cried out. He said, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Philip also shouts out, just show us the Father. Jesus had been with them for three years. Each miracle that they experienced, each teaching that they heard was to help them see more clearly. Yet they couldn't grasp the bigger picture that Jesus was talking about. And it says this in verse 10. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Jesus says, the words that I've been teaching you all these years, they have come from the Father. Believe them. And if you can't do that, remember the works that I've done. And if we were to actually examine all these miracles... I mean, think about all the different things that Jesus did. We'd find that they are really incredible. 
incredible feats, but in fact, they were just a voice drawing attention to something greater. Now, what do I mean by that? They, they pointed to something greater. They were pointing to the deity of who Jesus is, not just the cool things that Jesus could do. Jesus said, believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or at the very least, believe in it from the signs you have seen. So here's the key, church. Don't believe in the signs, believe in Jesus. The signs are there only to point you towards Jesus, to show you who Jesus really is. Don't trust in your health, don't trust in your wealth, and don't trust in just the the immense beauty of this world around us, but trust the author of it all. Trust the one standing in front of you, asking to simply open your eyes to see the Father. (laughs) You know, man has always wanted to see God. It's a thirst that man has always had, just to just to be able to see God clearly. But that thirst is quenched upon knowing the truth that Jesus is the visible representation of God the Father. Now think of, again, think of all the miracles that Jesus did. The lame that are now leaping, the blind that are now seeing, the water turning to wine, all incredible miracles. But simple signposts pointing that God that Jesus really was the Son of God and that we needed to listen to him. <laughs> and it was pointing to something that was far more beautiful. I mean, think about, think about just the, the miracle of, of the water turning to wine at the wedding. Sure, that's, that's a great miracle that Jesus did, but the far more beautiful thing was that the deity of Jesus was right there in front of you. The Son of God was right there, and we had, they had the opportunity to touch him. Yet many times people were celebrating, yeah, we have more wine. <laughs> you know, if he is who he says he is, we can be assured and comforted that he has indeed gone to prepare a place for us, and that he knows our needs better than we know the needs ourselves. It's only because Jesus is the truth and life that Jesus can actually be the way to God. And let me reword that like this. Jesus is the way to God precisely because he is the truth of God and the life of God. And you cannot have one and not the other. Or you cannot select two and just one. Jesus is the way, truth, and life. You have to accept them all together. Colossians 1.15 Paul is telling the Christians of of Colossae that we can know what God looks like just by looking at Jesus. It says this, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So if church, if you really want to know what is God like, examine his son. (laughs) Examine Jesus because he is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the life. Now, what does that mean that Jesus is the life? In verse 12, it says this. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these he will do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. 
If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If I can be transparent with you guys, <laughs> I have struggled with this section. Um, in the past, I was really confused by two different parts because I have heard many different ways that this could be interpreted. And I, I'm praying that, that God will en- enlighten us and show us um, with his Holy Spirit. There are two parts, like I mentioned. The first one being, how am I supposed to do greater works than Jesus? <laughs> really? <laughs> and if I say the words, in Jesus' name, amen, it had to happen because it says right there, I, I said the magic words, I, I asked in his name, <laughs> so why didn't it happen? You know, I was flawed in my thinking. And let's look at the second one that I mentioned first, asking in Jesus' name. And I think it'll be helpful if we view that same verse in the Amplified Translation. What the Amplified Translation does is it helps us to, to know the context of that exact word. And so it expands a little bit about what that word really means. Okay? It says this, And I will do whatever you ask in my name as my representative. This I will do so that the Father may be glorified and celebrated in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name as my representative, I will do it. Now, acting as a representative, representative of Jesus means that you are living in and for his name. What you are doing is not to further your own name, it's not to further your own kingdom, but it is to live for Christ. You cannot be living for your glory and for Christ's glory at the same time. Jesus needed Peter, Thomas, and Philip and the rest to know that he does have a plan, and it was a plan better than any one of their own desires. The author of life knows what is best for my life, and that might not fit in my game plan of planting trees and painting walls. (laughs) But am I okay with that? That's a question that each one of us needs to ask ourselves. Because if we are living as representatives of Jesus, he might call us to do things just like he did to the disciples that might not be in our game plan. He might call you to go on a mission trip. He might call you to full-time mission work. He might call you to help a certain person that you know needs help, but it's just not a comfortable situation for you. We need to understand that. That's what it means to ask in his name. You're saying, Jesus, show me what you see and show me what it is that you want to do in my life and do it. That's asking in his name. You know, it's, it's wonderful to marvel at all the miracles recorded in the New Testament. And, and honestly, I used to almost wince at this idea of, of that, what that verse says, you know, being capable of greater works than these. And we marvel at what Jesus did, and we read the verse of how we'll keep doing these greater works than these, and doesn't it just make you wonder? <laughs> doesn't it make you wonder? And, and for a long time... I thought, how is that even possible, Jesus? I mean, you opened the eyes of a blind man. 
You provided food for thousands of people from a small lunch. You raised the dead. What have I done and what could I even ever do to come close to meeting that statement, Jesus? Now, this is a powerful verse. But remember what we just talked about earlier, about those, those being signposts pointing people to the main attraction. <laughs> the main attraction is Jesus being who he is, who he says he is. Yes, it is true. Jesus has done some incredible, miraculous things. <laughs> but the miracles were attesting that Jesus was who he said he was. And that was more important than the miracle itself. It was heightening the impact that the cross was about to take on all of the disciples, on all of the people in the area. They needed to understand that what is about to happen is so important, not because Jesus was really good at you know, doing miracles, but that he was the Son of God. And also, it's important to notice that it says that these greater works, that you're going to be able to do them because I am going to the Father. Now, this isn't behind you, or, but it's in John 16, verse 7. I'm going to read it to you. It says, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, or the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So, walking on water, raising the dead, healing the lame, feeding the hungry, water to wine, it was all signposts pointing to the one and only son about to perform the one and only act of redeeming those who believed in him to make a way for us to be with God. And we actually see evidence of this happening in Peter's life. Remember Peter, the one that failed him here? And then if we were to go over a few pages, we'd see Peter denying Jesus three times. Just a few weeks later, we see this actually coming to life. In Acts 2, Peter is, is filled with the Holy Spirit, just like Jesus promised would happen if he went away. He's filled with the Holy Spirit, and then he goes and preaches a message to, that 3,000 people respond to. And then they, they're baptized, and, and then they start following the way. They didn't even have a name for Christianity yet. They call it the way. That was only possible because what Jesus did, because he went to the Father, and because he sent the Holy Spirit to us so that now we can show others the way, the truth, and the life. Now today, we get to point others to Jesus, and that is powerful. We are able to say to others that your sins, they can be forgiven, not on account of what I'm saying here, on, on my account, but in Jesus' name. <laughs> your sins are forgiven. Your life can be changed. And that is powerful, friends. We can never look at ourselves and say, I don't have anything to offer God. <laughs> I mean, you very well might say that earnestly to God. <laughs> but what he does through you so much more powerful than what you could ever do alone. His way is so powerful. It changes lives. 
Now we get to look at the finished work of our sins paid for on the cross, and we live in that. Jesus is the life because he is the only one who gives everlasting life. He went to the cross to prepare for us a way home, a way back with God. And I got to realize that no house and no large tree and no painting of rooms or anything that I am going to strive to do is going to make me really feel at home because I was designed to be with God. You know, thousands of men were crucified. The only, but the difference with, with our Savior was found in his identity. And his death and sacrifice accomplished something that his life of miracles with the disciples would never accomplish. The disciples didn't see what Jesus was doing at first, and they wanted Jesus to stay. They loved Jesus, and that's, that's great. We should love Jesus, and we should love our church, and we should love our friends, and we should want to build deep community with each other, but it should never keep us from God's way of going and telling people and, and seeing more people come to him. He has gone to prepare a way. He made the one and only way to the Father because he is the one and only Son of God. No one can come to the Father except through Jesus. And I understand that that is today a controversial statement in our world. I mean, it's an, it's an age that we live in where truth is considered subjective or relative. But Jesus was very clear. The way to the Father is found nowhere else. You cannot believe that Jesus is who he says he is and not believe that he is the only way to the Father. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so thankful for your way, your truth, your life. God, I pray that you would reveal to each one of us how that should influence our life today. God, don't let us leave this room the same way we came in, but change us, convict us, and push us towards what it is that you want us to do, God. Lord, I thank you that, that if there's anybody here who might feel like they have failed you in the past, Lord, that they are that they're not able to do what it is that you called them to do in the past, Lord, that, that you would strengthen them right now, that you would show them just how you did with Peter and Thomas and Philip, that, that their defeat, <laughs> that their mistakes was not the end of their story. God, help us to see clearly, help us to see who you are, Jesus, we're just so thankful that you are exactly who you said you were, that you came and lived on this earth with us, that you experienced sorrow and pain and rejection and betrayal with us. But then you went to the cross carrying all of our shame and all of our burdens, Lord. And now we get to live in your forgiveness and in your grace and your Holy Spirit can empower us to do things that we could never do alone. We thank you for that.
It's in your name that we pray. Amen.